0: This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast serving up tender family drama, medical mystery, and projectile vomit in equal proportions. Today, we're talking about The Exorcist, both the original 1973 film directed by William Friedkin, based on the 1971 novel by William Peter Blatty, as well as the subsequent attempts at sequels ending in the current David Gordon Green film, The Exorcist Believer. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, also known for speaking in eerie, profane voices and emitting foul smells. I'm Al Baker, every bit as scary
1: as my reputation, but frequently misunderstood.
2: I'm Sarah Lynn Bruck, and after watching The Exorcist, I now know why my teenager just leaves her dirty dishes in the sink. I mean, the dishwasher is right there. My child would never do that. Wow.
3: My name is Lauren Square, coming from Oklahoma City, and pea soup does not look like vomit. It doesn't.
2: Nothing like it. Not at all.
3: So that's your main beef with the,
0: <laughs> the original movie. What would I you have well, I wouldn't
2: say it's my main beef. It's just that, like, honestly,
3: <laughs> the effects have not dated well. The drama is good. The overall sense of dread is good. The effects have not dated well at all. Since you've
1: gone right into like nitpicking a masterpiece movie, <laughs> can I just say, I don't <laughs> think the vomit is supposed to be realistic. I think it's supposed to be weird vomit because she's possessed by a, a demon who's making her. No, vomit weird it's supposed vomit.
3: to be vomit. It's supposed to be real vomit. And that pea soup was fine for 19. When does the movie come out? 1970, 1980? What year was that? 73. 73. It's fine for 73. 2023, it does not pass a sniff test. They cut out the scene where she was eating the pea soup. That's the thing. Like, you know, it's hard <laughs> to get her to eat anything. <laughs> I was right. The movie is a masterpiece. I love the movie. I love the dread. I love everything about it. The actual effects in 2023 do not hold up. I will die on that heel. Her face doesn't look properly mutilated. The head turning around—you can tell that's not real. I'm sorry, the effects do not hold up. This is not where I expected this discussion to start,
1: but I, I'm really happy to disagree with you profoundly because I think the effects do hold up. Because they're not. Firstly, because they're all practical and they all look like the make the makeup on Linda Blair's face is incredible. Like all of the shaking around in the bed, all of the all of the parts where they were clearly seriously injuring their actors look fantastic because they're <laughs> genuinely wow. <laughs> So so the actual injury looks great. Okay. But, oh it looks fantastic. But the Does, um, yeah. <laughs> but the main thing, the reason why all of the effects even though some of them like don't look as hyper realistic maybe as a CGI as a modern piece of CGI would do, but it all hits so much harder than any like almost any recent horror film I've seen because of the masterful way that the tension is built up in between all of those scenes. This was the first time that I've seen The Exorcist and it now might be one of my favorite films. It's
0: incredible.
2: That was the first time you saw The Exorcist. Wow.
0: And you watched only the director's cut, I assume. Or did you? I think so because I think it had
1: some of the... This is another interesting thing about this movie. I know so much about this movie because even though I've never seen it because it's impossible not to know about the split-piece hoop, about the spider walk, about various things that happen with the crucifix. So much about the film was so surprising and, and, and thrilling just to
3: sit through it, even though I knew so many of the key beats. A little bit of a spoiler. The Exorcist Believer, will, I'm, I guess I'm spoiling this. I don't love that one. I don't think it's a really good sequel to it. We'll get to it. we we'll get to it. There is another movie that is out right now in the theaters. So it'll come out on and It is the perfect movie to watch with this movie, but it is so deeply upsetting. We'll get there.
2: Well, so, but okay, then practical effects aside, whether or not they work for you, what about... How effective the movie is. I mean, the movie I would argue today is still as effective as it was when it came out. I do it agree. is a terrifying, disturbing movie, and I was just as scared watching it, knowing. And I've watched all of those how they did this and how did they did that behind the scenes videos, and it was still just as disturbing for me now as a bona fide adult watching it as it was when I first saw it.
1: Even more so, I think, watching it, I didn't see this film as a kid, but one of the many things which is perfect about, about the original Exorcist is its really masterful use of theme. So the creators decided, like, right at the top, what is scary about this movie is going to be how everybody's faith gets shaken. That's the thing that's scary in The Exorcist. And I think, sorry, your point was about watching it as an adult. You grow to rely very deeply on the things that you, like, know to be true about the world. And when those things get shaken, when your faith gets shaken and like, the things you believe politically or like about your society, it's deeply upsetting. We've seen that play out in real life over the last few years. Like When people's basic political foundations get shaken, it's really, really scary. And that's the kind of horror that The Exorcist is dealing in. And it's really brilliantly done.
3: And I do think that The Exorcist Believer, the sequel to it, the one that's out now, does kind of play with that it does kind of play with the i don't know how deep we want to get into this but like there's a character who is an atheist agnostic something like that I, i'm really not sure what leslie Odom is in the film and, and he has to kind of grapple with us so, so that film does try to grapple with that in the first two parts of that film but yeah the original exorcist for the time i'm willing to accept the effects I'm just being critical of a film 50 years after it came out so I I get that I'm being a little unreasonable. It is a masterpiece however of tension, it's a masterpiece of suspense. It really does a really good job of going to the heart of belief and really shaking that heart. It really as a parent watching the film, it really affected me because I begin to think about wow, what well, what would I do in that situation? How would I address my child being possessed, right? How do I kind of tiptoe that? It's a wonderful, masterful examination of those very real, very challenging questions. Well, I mean, literally
0: worrying about your child being possessed is not the very real, very challenging question. But the very real thing that is adjacent to is my child is sick. My child is exhibiting behavioral issues and how helpless you can feel. And I was really surprised. So I started with the book, on this. I had read the book as a kid this time there's hold
3: on, hold on for a second. Have you never been around five-year-olds in a kindergarten class and you see those kids acting absolutely obscene? I would be concerned about my kid being possessed because those kids can be really, really over the top. I just a couple of days ago, I was at like a Casey's little convenience store and a kid was like acting like they were legitimately like Reagan. They were acting possessed. Like it was projectile coming out of their mouth crying tears snot so I'm sorry Mark I disagree with you a kid being possessed is a legitimate concern different age entirely
0: we're talking about (laughs) in both cases I don't think it's an accident that this is set to line up with approximately puberty you know that when people become teens now they start to hate you (laughs) this kind of stuff but more so like my kid has cancer or whatever like that's how much of the book is presented as a medical mystery. We're gonna really go into like it seemed like he. I know he interviewed priests and glad he went to a Catholic school and knew the background of this stuff. But it also seems like many novels, like that, he talked to psychologists. He talked to medical professionals and was trying to make it as accurate as possible. Like a, who's the guy that wrote Jurassic Park? Michael Michael Crichton. You know where we? You know so it ends up being science fiction in that sense of how would. And I guess this was based on a true story. I don't know how much he tried to adhere to the story. I know quite a few things were changed. I think he really didn't try that hard to cue to the story. But yeah, in terms of just chasing down different things, and that even when an exorcist is called in, he's called in as a placebo. It's It really is a big deal in the book. Like, could Reagan have read this part of this witchcraft book that somebody had given the mom, and so she could think that she was possessed and is exhibiting all these crazy-ass things Even to the point of oh telekinesis like well that's been observed in normal psychological it happens with angry teens so that doesn't necessarily indicate a demon possession like there's very high standards even you know when Karis comes in is that the first priest or is that the yeah he's the brooding younger
2: one from yeah yeah the brooding younger
0: one who has to make that determination. Is this enough to present to the authorities to call in a real exorcist, to actually perform an exorcism? And there's just quite a lot of time taken in the book and surprisingly amount in the movie of like trying to establish these things. So it becomes, I think Blatty's heart is in crime drama, that the one big change from the book to the movie is leaving out some of the police officer didn't really have that much of a role. In the movie, like he was there, but like, it was a serious thing of him being about to solve this murder of this man who had gotten thrown out of, you know, fallen down the stairs to the point of, is Regan going to get arrested? You know, are the authorities somehow going to burst in and get involved with this? So like, that's an actual point of tension where in the movie, that's just, it's just too much. So you enjoyed the book then? Um, you know, I did. It, It really pumped along once it got going. I didn't think that the writing style itself, I mean, it, it is like Crichton, like, you know, he's not John Irving. It's not an amazing writer, not even Stephen King in terms of it being actually paced such that you just have to gobble it up. It did seem more like, you know, some of those Poirot things, those Agatha Christie things are like, unlike a movie, it's a book. Let's sit around and have a long conversation about this. Like, that's not right. the most exciting thing, but like, that's what makes books... It's okay to be at a board meeting, to be at a, a meeting of medical professionals or whatever. And yeah.
2: So, Bladdy and Friedkin both had like disagreements about, you know, what to put into the film. And, and Bladdy actually had a problem with specifically the ending. Now, you guys watched the longer cut, and Friedkin actually refuses to call that the director's cut because the director's cut, as far as he was concerned, was the original cut. But Bladdy really wanted to have the ending be you know, end on a more hopeful, obviously hopeful note. And Friedkin didn't want that. He knew that the audience was going to be coming into the theater with their own experiences, their own belief system, and take from it what they will, and sort of trusted them to do that. Whereas Blatty didn't want that. He wanted that relationship between the priest and the inspector to give it more of a hopeful feel.
1: There was specifically the question of whether the audience would be able to reasonably interpret Evil having won. One of them wanted it to be clear that.
2: That evil had not won. Yeah. The author wanted that.
1: Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. I think it's a weird thing to obsess about because the sense of the ending for me was just like, yes, the threat has been vanquished, but the cost was just profound. And I don't know how hopeful
3: can you be after watching that film? I think it's a weird thing to get hung up over. Clearly, I like the ending that Freakin had because Freakin had the right instincts as a filmmaker, right? He knows what works. So I just watched yesterday Killers of the Flower Moon. I sat through that entire long three hour and 30 minute film and I've read the book. I know that story because I live in Oklahoma. so like I know that like, I know that land. I know that story pretty, pretty well. And I think that Scorsese differs from that book because he knows filmmaking instincts. And so he knows what's going to make a good film. Same thing with Freakin. Freakin was a master filmmaker. And so that is the right choice. Bladdy is concerned about his book and he's concerned about the He the, also the wrote story. the screenplay though. He did, but still Freakin is the director. So he's going to have the final word.
0: Just from what I understand that Blatty wrote the screenplay and Freakin didn't like it. So they sat down together and like went through the book and sort of rewrote the whole damn thing.
3: Exactly. Because Freakin has that filmmaking instinct. He knows what's going to work on the screen. Whereas a writer, oftentimes, I mean, you know this, Sarah, like writers are concerned about different things than like a filmmaker would be concerned about. So, you know, Freakin wants to get the story right, but he also wants to hit the audience. He wants the film to be impactful. And so ultimately, I'm going to say that I'm going to go with Freakin. I'm going to you know, say that what Freakin made the decision as far as how that story ends, that was the right decision, because that's the reason why that film remains with us. And is so deeply impactful still.
2: I like it when a director, and I actually like it when an author does this too, when they trust the audience to be able to get what they need from whatever the piece, you know, the work of art is. And I did like that, you know, Freakin and Blatty both seem to be on the same page about what they thought the piece was about, which was basically good versus evil, right? And all of these other readings that we have about the fact that it's about girls and women's bodies, that it's about parenthood. All of that seemed either non-existent in Freakin' and Blatty's minds or completely secondary to the story that they thought they were trying to tell. But I love that Freakin said that you can take from this whatever you want. It's almost like when you say, it's no longer mine. Now that it's out in the world, this is no longer mine. It's It's yours. It's the audience's.
3: And that's what a filmmaker typically does, right? You know, so I think about like, but not always. No, I I absolutely think so. I think that a good filmmaker, like a Scorsese, a Spielberg, you know, those kind of guys, a freaking like the top tier filmmaker, Spike Lee, they understand that there are oftentimes things in their film that they put in. They kind of don't fully understand why they're putting it in there, but they like to have an impulse. And so they oftentimes will say it's out in the world now. And so you interpret it the way you want to interpret it lesser filmmakers i would argue would say what i intend is what you should read and this gets into a whole other aesthetic conversation what i intend is what you should read into the film but a top tier filmmaker a steve mcqueen level filmmaker a filmmaker who is not only just a filmmaker but an artist as well are going to say what you read into this film is fine it's now in the world you take it right so i think that saying you read into this film and you take from it what you will, that's top tier filmmaking. That is an artist at work. And that's the reason why I think this film kind of persists. I think there's a really interesting connection we can draw here between the original
1: Exorcist and the new one, taking the idea of the discussion about many interpretations. You're absolutely right, Sarah Lynn, that guys who made The Exorcist, they knew exactly the film that they wanted to make. They were hyper-focused on the themes. And the tone particularly was clearly something that they saw eye to eye on. They both talk a lot about how it's really important that this is a real thing that's happening in a real house. And i think the film is like right for interpretive readings of all kinds but the reason it is so that it's rich enough to be able to afford those kinds of readings is because of the clarity and artistic vision that went into it in the first place like focused on because they're focused on questions of like faith and rationality that informs like the depth of the conversations and the characters that are in the film and that makes them all well-rounded and anything that's sufficiently well-rounded, can be interpreted with a number of different lenses. And that's one of the things for me that just makes good, especially good movies, but good art in general. However, to take Lawrence's point, the worst filmmaker is the one who who doesn't lean heavily enough on a core idea and instead throws the audience things that they can interpret. And this seems to be especially a kind of modern phenomenon. But in The Exorcist Believer... For instance, the thing about, oh, this is a problem for all of the world's religions, or let's get someone from every single religion in to help solve yeah, this man. problem. Good point you out. could write a really fucking great essay about the original Exorcist, about why Catholicism, especially because we've got the Exorcist too, which is batshit with tribal stuff. You could write some really interesting essays about what the Exorcist says about world religion and Catholicism's relationship to world religion. But in the Exorcist Believer, We just get handed it on the plate and say, oh, this is just a global problem now. And it's not interesting, but it's there because the filmmakers think they need to give everything. They need to give people things to talk about to make the film interesting. When they don't, they just need to make an interesting film.
0: I kind of want to talk about what might be seen as the least important part of these films, which is the setup. If it's supposed to be traumatic, I was saying, like your child getting sick, then. Establishing the relationship between the parent and the kid is important. And in the new film, they really lean on that. So that the trauma is actually more, what if your kid disappears? This is the thing right. that's just, there've been so right. many movies and this right. has been returned to so many times of it just being an absolutely, I'm not really thinking my kid is going to get possessed. I'm not even thinking that my kid is going to get cancer, but disappearing is like a fucking constant thing that you're potentially wigged out about. So what do you, what do you think about them? in the new film, for instance, leaning so hard on that aspect, I mean, it really makes it quite different that it becomes a public event, that it invites this kind of public solution, where in the first one, the setup is she's a famous actress and she has fancy people over for parties. And I just, when starting the book, this is why my initial idea of the book was not very positive. I just did not give a shit. Like I was like, get to the exorcism part.
2: (laughs) I thought the setup actually in the new Exorcist was really effective. I like the fact that our point of view parent was a dad. I like that he was also, though, a single dad. He was a single parent. And we have someone who is a non-believer. He is an atheist. And we've got that in comparison to the family with multiple children. So he's a single dad of a single child. And you've got the family who's very religious They're part of one of those new churches. They've got multiple kids. And I like that juxtaposition. I really like seeing that comparison. I wish that they had kind of leaned on those differences more and really kind of played that out. That would have been, I feel like, maybe made for a more effective movie. Again, like Al said, they would have made a decision on what this movie was really going to be about. But they didn't do that enough, you know, in my opinion. I wish that they had done that more. But I thought that the setup of you do worry about your child disappearing. You do worry about, and this could be literally disappearing like these girls do in the woods. It could be disappearing because they're trying out drugs or they're disappearing in lots of different ways. But that is a very real fear for parents today. Goes back to like,
1: was it M? Piece of lorries in it.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, there's, I know, a fam- I know. there's a
1: famous scene where a girl buys a balloon and then disappears and the balloon floats away. I was just thinking how like, the terror of just having your child disappear and that being the emotional crux of a movie is nearly 100 years old. That's great.
3: Okay, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to swerve here. In the 1980s, you had 10 or 11 like, major kidnappings of little kids and they were being killed. And so when I was growing up in the 81, 82, whatever, we were able to kind of roam around and be free and parents were like off doing their own thing. I remember you used to kick us out of the house and let us kind of be outside for a very long time, then you eventually come in. It it reminds you like E.T. and that film and how the kids were always out. After the 1980s, these kids disappeared. And because of that, everything changed. And so now a parent's fear began being your kid being killed and kidnapped. I think that is a played out trope. It was effective in the 80s, really effective in the 90s, kind of started dying off in the 2000s. And so for them to build the exorcist believer on that trope, it eh, felt a little tired to me in the, in the movie theater. Now, maybe that's me being hyper aware of that trope and like the persistence of that trope. I think that's kind of fair because it is an
1: old trope. They didn't do anything new with it. What's admirable about it is it means that the filmmakers at least tried to connect with some part of what made the original exorcist scary, which is a focus on just a really basic fear but I you're, you're right. They didn't do enough interesting with it. And it certainly wasn't pure or stark in the way that the, the first one is.
2: Even though I felt that was probably the most successful thing that they did in, in the film was coming from that parent's perspective. It was so good in the original film. I watched that film, the first one, for, I don't know, the umpteenth time. And my heart just goes out to Chris McNeil every single time. You know, I'm thinking, why is this called The Exorcist? This is about, for two-thirds of the movie, it's about her, you know? And it's about her dealing with her kid and just that whole, even before they get to the bed shaking and her head turning around and all that kind of stuff, her getting all of that medical nonsense, you know, the spinal taps and the going through the MRI machines and that was just as terrifying to me as the demon possession was watching this kid go through all of that, and watching the mom watch her daughter go through. I all
3: mean, of that. I agree with you, but honestly, like, what's a better title for a film than The Exorcist? That's going to drag. <laughs> like that—that's that's the instant seller. That's going to drag you in.
1: <laughs> title aside, the films that The Exorcist, the original Exorcist, reminded me of more than any were Jaws. And Erin Brockovich, because so much of the emotional drive of the first two acts of the movie, say, is Chris McNeil being systematically let down by all of these institutions, which she always assumed she could count on.
2: That's what she believes in.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what she believes in. And go back to an earlier point you made, Mark, about the the setup of this, it is kind of weird that she's an actress. That is a bit of a, an odd decision. Apart from the fact it gives a really cool way for her to be further failed by all the institutions she comes into contact with, because there's like the the, the guy who asked her for an autograph after he's just told her that her daughter's like beyond hope. And he said, sorry to us, but can I have an autograph? And that's so gut wrenching because it's she's just Again, keeps being let down by all of these safeguards, and she still has to be the gracious, famous person alongside all that.
2: They're also not in their home. So her yeah. home is in Los Angeles, and here she is all the way across the country in a temporary spot. Actually, I hadn't really given that much thought to it, but that is kind of interesting that here they are, they're strangers in some place where they don't live, you know, and the kid is, I don't even know if the kid is going to school. I never see the kid, was the kid in school?
0: I don't Uh, remember. I don't remember. She's got like a governess situation going on, it seems. It is referred to in the book that this happens over weeks and she's like acting out at school or whatever, but it's not even, it's not even shown, but yeah, it's 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 mostly that she has this tutor who's religious and who tells her about some religious stuff.
2: Is that the woman, the um, assistant? That was living with them. Is that who that was?
0: I think so. Yeah, I think so.
1: There's a good story reason for that to be the case as well, because it really is like useful for the story that she doesn't have anybody to lean on apart from like the local police and whoever else.
3: I imagine that in the book, it probably goes into more detail of like laying that out. But in the film, the fact that she's isolated really kind of drives home the theme that Friedkin's trying to hit. So though Mark can probably tell us more about what actually happened here. In the book, the film does a really good job of kind of isolating her and really making us kind of dwell with that isolation, which I think is a filmmaking choice, but I think it was the right one for the film. I feel like I want to talk about Exorcist 2. as a result. The film Exorcist 2? <laughs> yes. Why? Why do you want to talk about that? Okay, That makes okay, you well, a heretic. <laughs> wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> but Before Mark goes on this diatribe, because Exorcist 2 was a bad film, those of you who are listening understand that the Exorcist film Believer that is in the film now, that is in the theaters now, it is a sequel to the original Exorcist film. It does not take, don't look at, Mark, don't it do does that. It doesn't, it is ambiguous. It It is it a is- sequel, it, the filmmakers have said this, it is a sequel to the original Exorcist film. And so Exorcist 2, Exorcist 3, the other two Exorcist prequel movies, those films do not come into dialogue with the new right. film. They don't come directly. into dialogue.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm
3: No, but the Exorcist 3 is great. The Halloween you like the films 3? that they were like talking the about. 3, yeah. The Halloween films that David Gordon Green made, they are not in dialogue with like Halloween 2, but Halloween 2 is like one of my favorite Halloween films. Exorcist 2
0: is bad, man. So I was ready for it to be just the worst thing. I saw it many years ago, probably as a young adult, not as when I saw the, the original, but there were images in that that stuck with me. I guess it is known for the director is very visual. So there are a bunch of images that are kind of cool. This goofy sci-fi, for some reason, I find a little compelling of, okay, we're going to bring you down. We're going to hypnotize you. Let's bring you down to my level. You Your tone is going beep, beep, beep. Bring it down. Doop. Dude, now we got to match. We got to match our tones and therefore we're in ESP with each other. What a silly setup that then is sets this thing for the whole movie of, you know, why this Richard Burton is psychically connected to the grown up or slightly grown up. There's a lot of psychedelic stuff in it, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, even moment to moment. It wasn't as boring as I thought it was going to be, but that's not saying much. It's just quite perplexing, really. It's definitely a bad movie but I, I think it's
1: worth watching just because it's just because it prompts so many questions about why they made that movie.
2: <laughs> Cuz the first one was so successful.
1: Well yeah, but then why do that? Cuz it wasn't like it was the easiest sequel. I disagree somebody. with Al, lazy I disagree film. with Mark. Do not watch the was... second
3: film.
0: Don't do it. Just don't do it. It is so bad. It I mean just so compared bad. to something like Wishmaster or so, you know, these there are many many bad <laughs> bad master. horror movies that just have nothing <laughs> interesting about them. But this one has some interesting... I mean, even just seeing this bizarre performance of Richard Burton. Wow. How drunk drunk were you?
3: A good actor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that they brought... Sarah's bringing up her governess because they couldn't get the mom to come back. But the governess comes back and dies in a hilarious way. (laughs) Really, yeah. There's just some really interesting moments of this man falling off a cliff and sort of bouncing between... Platforms (laughs) Uh, platforms <laughs> so and this being like a really important <laughs> plot point that somehow the, the guy has to find his body, just crazy.
2: <laughs> but it's Exorcist
0: dear, Three, dear
3: listener, dear listener,
2: I did watch Exorcist watch Three. It. Yeah,
0: give us your take on that. Hey, that's a good one.
2: My biggest takeaway from that was all of the uh, cameos that were in that. So I wrote them down. Did you know that Fabio was in that? <laughs> Yes. Absolutely knew it. C. Everett S- Koop, S- Samuel Larry J- King, Patrick Ewing, the great Patrick Ewing, Sam Jackson, a number of like crazy cameos of people showing up as like angels and stuff. That movie just I found completely bizarre and weird and supposedly, and it was also written by Blatty and directed by him. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And It was supposedly a direct sequel. I mean, it was...
0: Strangely recast. Like, you can't get the same cop actor. You have to put George C. Scott. George C. Scott. Of course, George C. Scott
3: is legendary. So, like... He's a great actor. I have no problem with that. He was just absolutely chewing up the scenery. The Exorcist 3, it has flaws, to be sure. But it has one of the best, like, scares of all of the Exorcist films. Like, it is legitimately...
2: Yeah, the... In the hospital? Mm.
3: We, you guys are making
0: motions. Most people are not watching the video. There is, there is some pincers that <laughs> chop off people's heads
1: that are used liberally. But it's the, the cinematic context of that jump scare is like Hitchcock level brilliant. They make you sit through a, like a, t- it feels like a 10 minute long <laughs> shot of a hospital corridor where nothing is happening, <laughs> and you go through every emotion like, wait to say, Is something gonna happen? Is this, a, is this a freak out? Are you just trying to bore me? What, and, a, and then there's this incredible snap zoom, and yeah, it's terrifying.
2: That was terrifying. Is it terrifying? I don't I know. I was just it.
3: impressed by it, I think. It terrified me. Now, I don't know, I know if it terrified me again, but it terrified me the first time I saw it. <laughs> I've only I seen didn't it like just that three, scene. Three, three, once. I, actually, I laugh I've seen it multiple times, but I, it terrified me the first time I saw it. What's
0: puzzling is, again, Blatty creating these, he likes the mystery genre, creating mysteries where there really is no mystery. Like in The Exorcist, you know that she's possessed by a demon. So all this, the police and the medical people and the psychiatrists going through things to finally admit what the audience has known from the second minute of the film. And in this thing, it was, oh, who's committing these murders? Obviously, it is the demon and the demon can possess people. So. Isn't
1: that just a kind of horror writing? The way you would, I've not read The Exorcist, but the way you're describing it reminded me of Lovecraft stories where it usually starts with like just some hard bitten private detective investigating something apparently mundane. And then it's slowly revealed that it's beyond everybody's comprehension and therefore horrible. Isn't that what's going on? So like, yeah, you, we, the audience know that it's eventually going to be a demon, but isn't the point? to watch George C. Scott slowly realizing that it's a demon.
0: <laughs> what did you folks think of that in terms of, I mean, he's having, right, the greatest parts of it is when he's talking to this patient who it turns out, you know, it's the same actor who is the priest who you think is dead at the end of Exorcist I. Right. At some point, there's the exposition dump of, of how his brain regrew, and I thought found very ridiculous. But just the fact that then somehow he's possessed Not with a demon directly, or at least not all the time, but with the spirit of a serial killer. So it turns out, like one of these cop serial killer things, who is the actor that plays the serial killer?
2: He was also chewing up the scenery. He was pretty funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He looked
2: like he was going to have a great time, actually.
0: Brad Dourif is describing with glee. The fact that George Scott is interviewing this person whose face he should recognize, according to this. But yet, part of the time seeing... You know, it's not just Brad Braddorff's voice or something, but like you see what you want to see or you see what the demon wants you to see, I guess. So this case from his past that's come back. There were definitely moments from both that film and The Exorcist 2, in particular the many bottles of blood from The Exorcist 3 that like stuck with me like, oh, I have seen this movie at some point 20 plus years ago because that's some crazy stuff. The
3: Exorcist 3 is... Okay, it's a better film than Exorcist 2. It's not a great film. It has good moments. I think that the George C. Scott performance is really good. But honestly, George C. Scott, like, he's never really bad. But without a doubt, you could live without watching The Exorcist sequels. Like, just live without those. Stick with the first one. Don't even watch Exorcist Believer, to be honest. I was really disappointed by the new film. Just stick with The Exorcist. That's really giving you what you want. Really, if you want a really good double feature, there's a film out now called Evil Lurks. It's an Argentinian film. It's going to come to Shutter on October the 27th. Now, that is a really good double feature with the original Exorcist. That's the really only film that I would argue. Now, I want to warn you, it's a mean film. Warning, kids die. But it is a great film. It is a really good, disturbing film to watch with The Exorcist. Because The Exorcist kind of started a number of different kind of films where people are being possessed. And there's like found footage films about people being possessed. There's like standard films about people being possessed. I don't love any of the ones that I've seen. The only one that I would argue would be this new one that's kind of out now. And that's just happenstance that is out now. I don't love possession films anymore. A little while ago, maybe it was Halloween
1: last year, we talked about the Halloween film franchise. And what's his name? Something Gordon Green. David Gordon Green, yep. David Gordon Green was the director of the new Halloween movies. And I remember you absolutely hated all of them pretty much without exception. I think I found some redeeming features in them, but we'd have to talk about that. I wondered, Lawrence, whether you think, like David Gordon Green, did he butcher The Exorcist more or did he butcher Halloween more, in your opinion? I wanted to ask you that question.
3: Oh, boy. Okay. I'm going to say he butchered The Exorcist more because that 2018 halloween film is legitimately good to me i really enjoy that film halloween kills is not as good as that but it's not like a terrible film now the halloween in- ends thing kind of falls off a cliff for me but the exorcist like he just he does a pretty good job of evoking the filling of the original exorcist film like so The new Exorcist film begins with like dogs fighting, which is kind of a little bit of a callback. But he doesn't do a good job of telling the story the way that the Exorcist film tells the story. This new Exorcist film is already a success. It's already going to be a sequel to it. You know, it's already going to do what it needs to do. So we'll see what he does moving forward. But I am not at all confident that he's going to kind of hold up because The original Halloween film, like the the very, very first one, the John Carpenter one, it's a good film, but it's not a masterpiece. The Exorcist is a masterpiece. And so for him to follow up The Exorcist, he has to really be firing on all cylinders, and he's just not. And so there's a little bit more of a forgiveness when it comes to Halloween that there is no forgiveness, at least with me, with The Exorcist, because it doesn't matter if you like horror or not. The Exorcist is a good film. So for him to fumble as bad as he did with this Exorcist Believer film, he fails on this one. You know, he's going to do a new Citizen Kane trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> that is a terrible joke. And if he were to do something like that, I would, I would go up to him and punch him. I would punch him personally.
0: Casablanca trilogy.
2: <laughs> I wonder if The Exorcist, I had heard with Believer, because they had made it during COVID, they really had to protect Ellen Burson because she's like 90. I'm betting it kind of screwed up with the plot because her character just got such short shrift. I mean, I just, I was so looking forward to seeing her. And the way that they had set it up was that she was going to be a major player. And I wonder if it's, Exorcist is just not, the Believer movie is just not as successful as the new Halloweens, because they were able to use Jimmy Lee Curtis in a more successful way. I don't know.
0: I was surprised she was in it as much as she was. I had heard that she didn't want to do it. She didn't want to do it. They paid her a lot of money that she gave to Good, charity. I'm glad she got paid. And so that she would just show up for a couple scenes, and that's what I expected. So They paid her so she could set up an acting scholarship, which is really neat. they you you know. Really?
2: Oh, really? Yeah,
1: that's what she wanted the money for. She got stupid, stupid money off them so that she could set up an acting scholarship, I think, at the college she works at.
0: Good. I did not dislike the movie. It was a movie-going experience. I went to the theater during the day. I was the only person <laughs> in this small theater.
2: Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> so I felt like I could pull out my phone if I wanted. I'm not going to bother anybody. But I mean, I'm not going to say I was super gripped. But like compared to my experience watching the two prequels, which were actively boring, I was not bored during this. I feel like, you know, there's a light on that there's an intelligent filmmaker who is trying to figure out, you know, a set of filmmakers who are trying to figure out how to respond to the material, how to not make the exactly the same movie, but how to make as much of the same movie that people would not complain. One thing I didn't, we didn't mention with The Exorcist 3, Blatty was forced to add in an actual exorcist because it was all about George C. Scott solving this thing. And so like after he had cut it, they said, no, 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 you got to actually have an exorcism in there. So they like use this priest character who's a minor character to have him come in and get killed in a, a goofy effect-laden way. Anyway, people, audiences are expecting something. And I think David Gordon Green and them know what they're expecting. And so we're trying to do, I don't know, I'm seeing it from their perspective. Maybe it's impure. <laughs> There's an
1: interesting related point to that story. It didn't bladdy not want to call it an exorcist movie at all. The third movie was based on was called Legion. Right. I think the story was that he didn't want it to be called an exorcist movie. That was Studio Pressure 2. And then once it was an exorcist movie, it had to have an exorcist in it. And I wonder if that just says something about... Because the problem with rebooting... Just like Lawrence said, the problem with rebooting The Exorcist, which doesn't apply if you're trying to reboot Halloween, it's the same issue that you have if you're trying to reboot Star Wars, which is that one of the films in that franchise just happens to be one of the best films ever made. And it's not David Gordon Green's fault that he... Can't make a masterpiece (laughs) under these conditions. But then maybe just don't. Just do something else. But you
3: gotta make sure people go and see it. And that's why this fucking film exists. I mean, to be honest, I think David Gordon Green is a really talented filmmaker. When you look at the other stuff he's made, like George Washington or whatnot, he's really good. He's a really good pineapple express, (laughs) a pineapple express. He has really good filmmaking.
2: Why are y'all laughing? That's a good movie.
3: I rather disagree. Yeah,
2: he's done comedies.
3: He has good filmmaking instincts. If he wants to do horror films, which he clearly wants to do, make an original film. I would like to see him do a
1: really trashy horror film because the best thing, let's talk about pineapple express because it's not a great movie, but it's a very, it's very good at being the kind of movie that it is. And it knows exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think the guy, like the problem is he's always got this huge, like monolithic, like not even films, they're just ideas in the pop culture that he has to live up to. And it's impossible. I'd like to see what happened if he didn't have to take himself so seriously.
3: The Halloween films are an entire ethos i mean they are huge films the exorcist is one of the best movies ever made so to make a sequel to that you're tackling too much like make a smaller good film i feel like we're being really harsh on him because we're comparing him to the fucking exorcist like like make (laughs) a good film that is not a sequel to a great film and you'll get all the lauding and all the praise that you want now the Exorcist Believer has made $107 million on a $30 million budget. It's a huge success, but it is not as good as it could be. And it's because we're comparing it to the original Exorcist. Go back to making good films. I'm
0: picturing if The Pineapple Express was a Cheech and Chong Next Generation movie, so that Cheech and Chong ran it a little bit. But then it mostly went to our characters that we, and then and then they show a little just for branding purposes because Cheech and Chong is such a huge draw on the culture. Is
3: it really? No, is no, Cheech no, no, no.
0: Having no, big, no, having, like, having huge s- draw Having having those stars that were in that was the you know the Apatow is a is a franchise in itself. Like you don't yeah. need, you don't and need he to and hook absolutely. It. Oh, yeah, he was but,
2: definitely part of that. <laughs> well, I think that my biggest problem, and I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud with Believer is that it wasn't very scary. Like, I hate horror movies. I dragged a friend of mine to go with me to see this so I wouldn't have to be in a movie theater by myself. (laughs) And it wasn't very scary. I was, like, almost disappointed in it. Did you guys find it very scary?
3: No. Uh, No. But to be honest, I wasn't very scared by the first Exorcist. Like, it's not a... No, it's a disturbing film. It's a disturbing... Exactly. That's it. That's it, Al. It's a disturbing film, but it doesn't scare me. I counted two jump
1: scares in the first film. I think there's two, there's the torch and her like
3: jumping on the ceiling, like something, something that she does. Like the, the spider walk. Yeah. You're the spider-walk. That's it. Right. And so I didn't expect the exorcist believer to be scary in the way that I would expect Halloween to be scary, but I did want it to be very creepy and very disturbing. And it wasn't that either.
0: Not to me. As I was leaving the theater, I felt disjointed and some of it, was social anxiety that being in a movie theater on a weekday at four PM with it's only you and the employees there is sort of terrifying. It's sort of a socially for me, yeah. I could not feel I could not get out of that space quickly <laughs> enough.
3: Okay, David Golden Green, a your Thursday pitch. for me. That's that's nothing hey. big at all. That's, that's a Wednesday or a Thursday for me here's your David Gordon Green
1: horror mo- original horror movie pitch then. A film critic goes to a screening of the latest horror movie Thursday afternoon and everyone, everyone starts acting weird. And it's,
0: I don't know.
3: That actually is not a bad idea for a movie. <laughs> all, the,
0: all the characters come to life. But This sounds like aftertalk talk creativity. Does anybody have any closing thoughts here? We actually got through something and did not spoil the ending
3: of this new movie. That is amazing for us. <laughs> I don't think it's worth spoiling. It's not very good. I'm, I, here's what I'll say: The Exorcist, the original film, is a masterpiece. It doesn't matter if you like horror or you don't like horror; it is good. The Exorcist believer is pineapple candy compared to the original pea soup. Pineapple exorcist. Express Assist. There you go. There is what it is <laughs> because it is not good. It is not a good film, and and, and it has good filmmakers. It has good writers. The cinematography is good. The acting is good. Everything is good about the film except the actual movie. Good people. It is not good. And I wish that he would make a good film. This guy's a good filmmaker. And he's just like pissing away his talent on making legacy sequels. Like, I want him to make a good
0: film. My closing thought I think exorcism as a plot device is problematic because it's basically magic. So, what determines whether it's successful or not? Is it just, does the priest have enough faith? Is that, you know, so it seems like in the original Exorcist, to spoil the ending, it is sort of given a trick of like, you can't actually beat the devil. You can't actually just say words and have the devil go away. But if you goad the devil into jumping into your body and kill yourself, that's a a loophole. And Exorcist 3 has a similar kind of a loophole that I don't completely remember the details of. But yeah, so they had to think of their own loophole in the new movie, which ended up being a moral choice on someone's part, that was sort of a trick. That's not really a spoiler because it's so abstract, but like they had to come up with something and it wasn't going to be good. Like there's no, I think there is no good way. I mean, I think the way they did in the original Exorcist film was the best way it could possibly be done. And so you could either repeat that exactly, which I think is sort of what happens in the Exorcist TV show, which I watched at the end of the first season, and actually, I remember really enjoying where something very similar happened. Yeah, I heard
3: that was good. wasn't that Wasn't that good? That TV
0: show wasn't supposed to be good or something. I heard it was yeah, pretty it was, decent. Yeah, I think so. But I stopped watching it for season two, and so
3: did everyone else. And that's why it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> so I want to hear from Sarah. Come on, Sarah. I made you watch this film. You were dreading it. You had to take a friend to hold your hand while you watched the film talk to me.
2: No, no. I actually really like The Exorcist and I I think it's so effective and I think it's a masterpiece on lots of different levels. But the reason why I don't like to go to scary movies is because I don't like to be scared. I'm not afraid of seeing gross stuff. I'm not afraid of that kind of stuff, but I just, I don't like to be scared. I don't find that fun. That's not something I take pleasure in at, at all. And I know that a lot of people do. I'm just not one of those people. And I think ultimately I was kind of disappointed that I went to this theater to go see this movie that I thought was going to be really scary. And it just wasn't because I was terrified by The Exorcist. I was absolutely terrified by it. I think I agree with everybody, you know, go see The Exorcist and just leave the rest alone.
0: All right. Next episode, uh, terrifying unsafe roller coasters we're gonna make <laughs> sarah lynn go on uh
1: the most no. uh. don't just pick on sarah lynn because i I'm, I'm exactly the same i don't like the reason i don't like horror movies is because not enough of them are, are good and if i'm going to be scared by a movie it's got to be really really good to make that worthwhile and the original Exorcist, that's the reason that i have put off watching it because its reputation first and foremost is, is the scariest movie that's ever been made and that's so unfair to that movie because it's not necessarily the scariest movie that's ever made but it might be the most dramatic or the most like gut-wrenching or the most disturbing. So yeah, the original Exorcist, I don't like to be scared by movies and The Exorcist may now be one of my favorite movies that's how good it is and how worth it. The horrible things that it makes you feel are, it's amazing. Don't be an idiot like me go and see it.
0: Don't fall down the stairs of opportunity and miss seeing The Exorcist. (laughs) Let's wrap that up. That was a wonderful joke to end that on. Was it. What a closing line.
3: <laughs> that was an absolutely like abysmal <laughs> final line. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. Spooky. Hey, we're now in the after talk. Now, Sarah, read this, right read this book. It's called yeah. Nightmare Fuel because this talks about why people like horror films. It talks about the psychology of it. It talks about the intellectual part of it. It's very interesting. It's a really, really, really good book. And it talks about why people enjoy it. It talks about why people are intrigued by it. And also talks about why people are not intrigued by it, why they would not like horror films. So read that, guys. That, that sounds that, like
0: a, a future episode. Like we should interview yeah, that, that, that author. That, does that, we should well, does absolutely it.
1: Let's do it. Have I you mean, ever done anything about the paradox of horror? On it's called. PL. It's called nightmare fuel. The science uh, of what is I'm the paradox? Al, yeah. The paradox I'm of horror is just like why do people enjoy engaging with art that makes them feel bad? Is the so it's not really you can generalize it out to uh, things beyond horror, but traditional. It is an it's an inexhaustible
0: horror. question, but yeah, we've had a couple mm. of of uh, the, the Handmaid's Tale was sort of the first drama of that has so much <laughs> nasty stuff in it. Like why why do we torture ourselves like this and But then that comes up again and again. Yeah, we did have a general horror conversation. We had a this is us conversation about about like, do you want your characters to go through this much tragedy? Why do you want? And I think about that when I'm thinking about like, am I going to watch a serious drama? Somebody on purpose put this character in this situation. It's entirely fictional. They didn't have to do that. And so why am I suffering? Like I'm supposed to be getting some pleasure out of this. And instead, I'm vicariously undergoing. Like, here's what it's really like to have cancer. Like, I no, (laughs) maybe once. That's not fun.
3: That doesn't sound fun at all.
2: (laughs) Wait, so, so Lawrence, but after you you read that book, Mm -hmm. and when we say we don't like horror movies because we don't like to be scared, were you like, oh, I know, absolutely, I was. Yeah, because
3: okay, so I'm gonna show you guys the book again. It's called Nightmare Fuel: The Science of Horror Films, 2022. Nina Nesseth. It's her name. I really enjoyed it. It talks about personality types and it talks about what horror movies do that attract people like me and Uh like repel people like you. It it talks about that. Interesting. What's the dominant personality
1: type associated with liking? You got to read the book, man. But okay, like, no it, it's hard. Yeah, I it's think this sounds complex. like a really good topic. Is
0: it is it Sagittarius? Sorry. <laughs> I mean,
1: it
3: may be one of the big five. but <laughs> it could be... Is this going um, on the after talk? Because this is actually a good conversation. I mean, honestly, I, I think that it has to do with just like what appeals to you, like what you find entertaining. Like So, for example, I'm not a big romantic comedy guy, but it's just like certain personalities are attracted to those kinds of films. It's just different things you're attracted to.
2: We could talk about this for an hour, I think. I think we should read it and maybe do one in the spring. Let's read it.
3: Me personally, I don't like body horror. I don't like gore. I like dread. I like love jump scares, but I really like dread. A sense of uneasiness. And so that's the reason why I love Halloween. That's the reason why I love The Exorcist. But the reason why I don't love the Saw films, even though I think the most recent Saw film is actually pretty good. It's interesting because I tend to think
1: like I don't like horror movies because of course who would want to like feel gross and disgusted but then I do like boring tense thrillers and who would want to be bored and tense too so yeah <laughs> just different people
2: I mean I'm also like I mean I'm looking forward to the Scorsese movie The Killers of the Flower Moon but it I also so know that good. It's also it's,
3: very unwilly unwieldy, unwieldy the, yeah.
2: I think that that movie though I'm already thinking oh I have to go in ready because it's also going to be you know, it's basically putting an entire community's trauma up on screen. I don't, I, you know what I mean? It's like, I have to prepare myself for stuff like that, but I will see it. I'm excited to see it, right. you know, but it's like, that but why would I put myself through? It's
3: such a good movie. It, it's <laughs> such an interesting examination of the banality of evil, but also the banality of white supremacy. It is a fascinating film. It's really, really good. Really, really good. Although I do have criticisms that I'm thinking about writing about. But I do have criticisms because it sidelines the natal voice for like half of the film, which is not great, but it is really, really good. It is top tier Scorsese. And we haven't gotten a top tier Scorsese for many, many years. It, it really, is really top tier for him.
1: Really interesting
3: that like Scorsese, because Scorsese have you ever done movies about like
1: non-American cultures, like the Irish? He did Silence, yeah, uh, which
3: I think is in Japan. If I remember correctly, but no, not missionaries typically. in he's, Japan, yeah. yeah, he's typically an American to be honest, like indigenous people, they are American. I mean, so he, yeah. he is an American filmmaker, but he doesn't oftentimes deal with deal with cultures that are not like is Italian that? American, like white yeah. Americans. He, he doesn't do in, kind of in New York. Argentina, yeah, right. so, did you say it was
1: based in Argentina or is it no, no, it's, uh, okay. no, it's, it's oh, American. Yeah, it's American. Oh, American. Okay, yeah. He's
2: based but in, but in it, Oklahoma. But isn't it like? But it is from the white perspective, though, right? Isn't it? It
3: the, is from the white perspective. yes. Yeah. Now, now it does take seriously the native perspective, but it is mm-hmm. definitely told from perspective of white people, which yeah. is my criticism of that film because that that's a native story, um, and it doesn't go as deep into the native side of it as I would have liked. But he's a white filmmaker, so I can't really criticize him too much. Yeah. You know, like is for,
2: that? I mean, you know, I don't know. Do you want him telling that? Story I don't actually, I, I don't
3: and, and, that's, and that's my point Like Scorsese has a lot of clout and him wanting to tell this story means the story is going to get told which means that you get the offside of it that you're not going to get that native perspective as well, so I'm okay with that I'm okay with that because I think it's an important story and one of the things I think that film does really interestingly is that it puts it in dialogue with what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma in the 1920s because those are happening at the exact same time Right, The Tulsa race riots and this particular evil that's happening in that part of Oklahoma. So it's, it's an interesting film. It's a really interesting film. I was really impressed by it. It's also overly long. It's self-indulgent because Corsese is Corsese, so he can do what he wants to do. So it needed a little bit more editing. It should have been like three hours instead of three hours and 30 minutes. Like It was a little yeah. overlong, um, but I really... You know it's okay. It's okay. I'll I'll take it.
0: Al's bringing up thrillers made me think that. So I finally got around with my wife to watching Hijack, the Apple TV series with Idris Elba. Oh yeah. Holy crap! Months late. Which Jesus Christ, man! I found yeah we we found very fun and so glad <laughs> as yes, a and- <laughs> as a as a spoiler, I thought going into the last episode. They were not going to resolve this, and they were going to still be hijacked through a season two. And I, so I think it's very safe to reveal to people that that does not happen because I would have been very mad. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, nope, we didn't land after all. And then as a transition, I was just a couple days ago looking at things on Netflix and watching "Blood Red Sky," which is a 2021 movie. Does either of you know about this?: So it, of course. I've, of course.: I've seen So it. it's a hijacked movie. With but vampires.
3: vampires. <laughs> 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 oh wow!
0: That the the hijackers don't know what they're up against, you know. So
3: it's like it's not a very good. Although I will say that there is a new Netflix TV show called "The Fall of the House of us- Usher," which is incredible. I really enjoyed that. Yes, we are talking now, about it next. So
0: we are. I don't know if Al agreed, but I thought the rest no, of us. I, agreed. I, I was just. I, I, I didn't
3: think we agreed. Okay, well, I'm not, not going to say. I will say this since it's halloween time and since i want to be controversial and make people come back i don't like edgar allan poe's poetry i don't think he's a good poet there we go there we have it and and that this film really cemented that he mentioned that because a lot of the people in this in this show like look at the screen and like quote Al- edgar allan poe and i was listening to that and i was like you know what that's not a good poem hot take edgar allan poe overrated as a poet overrated <laughs> Good I storyteller! Exact- I think he's rated exactly correctly as a poet. Which is okay, we're, we're going to fight, like- <laughs> fight. We'll fight later. We'll fight
0: later. Yes, the reason, the reason that I did not track down the Exorcist TV show season two and try to watch that is because we'd had some back and forth about what the next topic was going to be. We're going to talk about it in less than a week now uh, within this, with this, this calendar week and that it was going to be the fall of the House Fusher and by extension is it Flanagan or Flagan?
3: Flanagan. Flanagan. Flanagan.
0: His name. The, Put some respect on that man's name. Hey, it's the after talk. I'm warming up here to next next week. <laughs> but yeah, what a what a <laughs> stranglehold he's had over Netflix with just this hit after yeah. hit when in Absolutely. Halloween time at least comes around. And so I watched all of Midnight Mass, which now that, that is a mass fucking that, that is good. Mm-hmm. That is good. Uh, and then okay, I'm so starting, this is your showrunner. I, Yes. And I know that The Midnight Club is not as well liked, and maybe
3: he had a little less I haven't to do even there. finished that. I couldn't even finish that show.
0: It's at least fun <laughs> to see that there's,
3: you know, it's the same cast through several of these it things. It is. So it's. Now, he, he's, he's done with Netflix, actually. He's going mm. over to Amazon with his next show, Amazon Bottom Out. Like, he's really. I wish that he would make more films because the films that he's made are really good. Like, Hush is good. Dr. Sleep is good. Oculus, I think the name of the film is really. Like, mm. he's a really good filmmaker. It's just that he's like made this pivot into making television shows. I'm happy to have him there because I think he's pretty good at television shows. He's pretty good at the the writing and whatnot. I would prefer to see him make more movies, though. Like, I mean, I'm a movie critic, first and foremost. That's that's my first love. And we just haven't gotten a good Mike Flanagan film since Dr. Sleep. That's been too long. We need more films, less TV shows. That's that's what I say. Any other things you guys are?
2: Did you watching? want to talk about spoilers? Oh, uh,
0: yeah, that's interesting.
2: That spoilers email you got. Sure.
0: Do you want to? Do you have that in front of you? Do you want to read? Do you want to read the relevant <laughs> portion of that?
2: Wait a minute. What happened? I, I didn't get this. I it,
3: thought was, was the email sent to me as well. I thought. I thought. so they were calling Lawrence out.
2: No, I thought they were calling. They were no because. I thought they were calling me. She Why protested. am I not getting these
3: emails? What's going on? Okay, does,
2: uh, let me let me read it out. I
3: not aware of what's going on. We, the we the told, comment, let me call everyone out. I said it too. So don't worry about so it. So
2: this was in response to our Oppenheimer episode. He said, I am a middle-aged, I am middle-aged myself, but I constantly catch other middle-aged people making the error your co-host did on this episode. She protested that, quote, yeah, they're people talking about have it. had 20 years to watch the movie, unquote as an argument for why you don't have to worry about spoiling Memento. This ignores the existence of people like my budding cinephile son. He is in college and tries to catch up on stuff, but can't possibly be expected to have watched everything in the past couple of years that he wouldn't have been allowed to watch when it came out, or if, even if he was alive, which he wasn't when Memento was released, along with keeping up on schoolwork and having a social life, <laughs> and yada, yada, yada. And I thought, I think he actually brings up a really good point. But at the same time, if you're going into a podcast knowing that you're going to be talking about movies and stuff, like wouldn't you be interested in in hearing about this movie or show or whatever if you've already seen it? I mean, it's not like we're a review show. We're not reviewing it we're we're dissecting it. we're analyzing it. That's,
3: yeah, that's and, a very good point. Uh, that's I want to, that's
1: tough. I want to say, firstly, I'm just delighted that we got correspondence. That's that's
3: lovely. <laughs> 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 write us emails, guys. Those of you who listen to us, <laughs> write, write us it more, more emails. Bring
0: it on. Bring it on. Tell us, tell us where wrong. I would, also, I would thank the gentleman who said this it, but he's is. not a supporter. I'm sure. Wait, no. Oh, this. Is, I've been putting a couple of these supporter portions on the on the PMP feed. So maybe thanks, Alan, for your letter. All right. Thanks,
3: Alan. Thank you, Alan. Thanks,
0: Thank you, Alan. Love that you wrote to us. You are—you're
1: just so wrong. I mean, I love—I love that you have. (laughs) Oh wow!
2: Holy crap! (laughs)
1: I think—I think think the fact that your son is a cinephile is fantastic. As a budding cinephile, when I was a teenager, yeah, I knew that fucking Rosebud was the name of Citizen Kane's sledge before I went into the movie. Yeah, I knew. I knew. I I even knew. I even knew that that Bruce Willis was a ghost in Sixth Sense just like minutes after that movie came out. Are we just spoiling everything?
3: We're just going to do a whole bunch of spoilers.
1: Because the great thing about being a cinephile as a teenager now is you've got a hundred years of film. That is so true. That 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 have been made beforehand. And the cost of that is everything's good. The things are going to be spoiled. You're going to, if you can find somebody who can watch the Empire Strikes Back for the first time and not know that, that Luke Skywalker is, is Darth Vader's son then like more power to you but the reason that that but this is the horse this is the hell I will die on the reason that the empire strikes back is a great movie is it doesn't matter if you've been spoiled or not the movie does the work to make you feel the things you need to feel and that's what a real cinephile will understand
0: i feel like i am careful about how i give spoilers that i have a sense of would my experience actually be lessened if i saw this film after this person said this thing to me and in the case of a shitty movie, it's not going to be lessened at all because it's already going to be bad. And in the case, you know, so there, and that's why I was abstract enough in talking about this one that I don't think it's, you know, ruins anything to say somebody has to make some sort of choice and that somehow determines how the exorcism is going to turn out. Yeah. I think we should say what we need to say to make our points, but not necessarily necessarily Again, I guess, I I don't know, most of the time, Lawrence is the one who is like, come on, you wouldn't be listening to this unless you expected everything to be spoiled. This memento was one of the few points. And actually, the next paragraph of this gentleman's email actually says, however, I also didn't agree with the other panelists cutting you off from expressing your point, which I was interested in. So I don't know. Maybe this is just something we have to talk about beforehand.
2: Maybe. Uh You know who does a really good job of this is Karina Longworth in her series on movies from the 20th century. And she Mm. will, and she talks about movies that are really, really old, right? And that many people have or haven't seen. And she will always preface when she's going to be talking about um, key moments in the film, she will preface that and say, if you haven't seen this movie, stop the recording and go watch it and come back. If you're if you're interested. Otherwise, and I kind of appreciate that. She's not talking about movies necessarily as big as Memento or Star Wars or something. But at the same time, you know, if she's talking about Eyes Wide Shut and you haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut and you you want to go see that before you listen to the rest of the podcast about it. She does a good job of that. So I do understand why someone would not want to want the spoilers in their podcast. But at the same time, you are listening to a podcast that is analyzing movies and television shows. We're going to be spoiling some stuff sometimes.
3: I I wonder if maybe, and this may be a little bit of a labor on your part, Mark, and I'll be willing to do it with you if you need to, but like, once the episode is done, if we spoil something In the course of the episode, maybe we at the beginning of the episode, we edit in this episode will be spoiling this film, whatever, so that people who are listening can be like, okay, I'm not going to listen to that episode because they're going to spoil a film that I haven't seen. And I don't want that film spoiled. And so we therefore let them know at the beginning. But I think that part of what makes this podcast work so well is that it's a free flowing conversation. And so if we're thinking in the forefront of our minds, ooh, I don't want to spoil this, I don't want to spoil this, that it may hamper our ability to criticize or to talk about a film well. It's a catch-22. I, I, I don't know what the, what the right answer is. I don't know how to fix this. Sure.
0: I've tried, in general, in some in some circumstances, to be like, we can start off talking about the themes and stuff, and, and then it's usually toward the end of the conversation when we actually get to, like, did you find the ending satisfying? I think we did that in reservation dogs, you know, so that hopefully it, and again, that was a thing of saying that things wrap up kind of neatly in that I don't think that would lessen your enjoyment of watching that show. <laughs> like, no, like, not in at fact, all. you might be kind of, there have been shows that I've mentioned, I've watched with my wife that she's like, if this goes bad, I am not going to forgive you for making me watch this with you. <laughs> like, if this. <laughs> If the child dies, if the animals die, whatever. Mm-mm. Like, And so it's actually good to know, in some cases, before you embark on a show, how
3: much of a bummer is this going to be? Mm-hmm. I mean, so what's the fix? I mean, should we, because the criticism is a good criticism. Should we edit that in? Should we just continue with what we're doing? I can,
0: I can make a more of a point when I'm going doing my editing pass to like, Okay, we really hit a spoiler. Let me just actually insert a standard thing: spoiler warning, or whatever. You know, if we don't actually say that on the show, which we never do, so we could just we could do a, a new bit where at the beginning we
1: say spoiler warning for everything that we're going to discuss. <laughs> that's not a bad idea because if you don't want to hear fucking details about a film, don't hear people talk about it for <laughs> an hour. Jesus,
0: I figure people know that, and that's why I don't yeah. actually watch or listen to many podcasts of this sort. I research them when I'm preparing for the episode because I want to see what other people have said about this. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily, like even just, you know, movie review podcasts where, or reading reviews where the first paragraph of every single one of them is a plot synopsis. Like either I don't want to know the plot in this detail, so you shouldn't even be telling me this much, or i've already seen it and i don't want to read this nine times (laughs) so Mm -hmm. just just skim
1: yeah and crucially if you're like if you're if you're engaging with something about a film that you haven't seen all the way through and you get the sense that you're about to be spoiled from the direction that the conversation or whatever is going and you've got the presence of mind to stop at that point you don't you don't have to
0: it's fine (laughs) Mm -hmm. i know our voices are so are so tempting this is related to this, so I watched the new Frasier, and oh, I had watched with my daughter, we had been doing a rewatch of most of Frasier, but didn't get to the last season, or in the last season, anyway, didn't finish it. And I misremembered how that show ended. I thought he marries Roz for some reason, if you guys know the show enough to for that even to be meaningful. I
1: know Fraser really well, I have no idea why you would remember it,
0: I no think, really I why don't, don't know why, why I thought this. So in going into the new show, I was just like, oh, they're just going to gloss over the 20 years. Or, you know, they're just going to... But no, actually, the little explanation... I don't know. Did you guys... It was not as bad as the Night Court reboot, but, you know... It, I had, I course, had it was surprisingly good.
3: I'll probably watch it at some point. It was a big I, I was. I, I, I didn't watch the original Frasier, so I don't even know if I yeah. should jump in on this. There's no reason that you would, if you... Nah. I didn't watch Frasier. I didn't watch Cheers. Wasn't that the original show that it was based on? Yeah, yeah. So Cheers is, great. is
0: a spinoff of a spinoff. It inverts things exactly as you would expect. That the the premise of the old show is he is going to live with his elderly father, or rather, bringing his elderly father in to live with him. And so this is the same thing, but with his son, and things are reversed because it's a different character, and but one of them has to be more high class. And one of them has to be more down to earth. So mm-hmm. his son has become mm-hmm. a firefighter, and so that's the premise. But uh, you know, he's great at this character, and I is probably a really good actor. I haven't seen Kelsey Grammer in that much other stuff to actually be able to say that with with conviction. But like, I mean, sideshow Bob is uh, <laughs>
1: is is a, a perfect creation.
0: But the supporting cast, Kelsey Grammer is sideshow Bob. He yeah, is. very obviously. <laughs> Well, in, that's, whoa, whoa, but wait, you've wait, never in, seen Frazier, that's, in, that's in, why we, you would know. In the yeah. and then in the and then there's in. a
1: bit later on where they bring David Hyde Pierce in to be Sideshow Bob's brother, and they have a whole mm-hmm. Wow, there, there whole you go. Fraser that
0: completely that went
3: over my head. I had no idea.
0: <laughs> You're missing out on a whole Simpsons aspect. Literally. Have We done the like, Simpsons what? episode ever much? No, because I can't. I mean, I've watched a lot of it, but not the last like seven years. So. We don't have to watch the last. I mean, days. we'd have to watch a couple. I, every once in a while, I will, you know, like the Halloween episode. But even that, like, maybe it's been three years since I watched one of the Halloween episodes.
2: Mm-hmm. But that
0: was like at least a kind of like going to church on Christmas and Easter. Watch
3: Simpsons once a year. Yeah, I've seen every single episode of The Simpsons. Every single. Oh, wow. episode. Really? Yeah. So I, and and I've, and I've seen them multiple times. I've gone through and rewatched the Simpsons on Disney Plus. I love that show. I loved it. We should
0: definitely do an episode on it at some point. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe it will end. Maybe somebody involved will die. Maybe there will be, you know, a particular oh thing. God. I think The Simpsons <laughs> is, is one of those dark. things where we just
1: we just don't need a reason. Everyone's always gonna be happy to hear people talk about The Simpsons. I agree. I agree. I don't That's know. Are true. people happy
0: watching The Simpsons these days? Probably it's
1: very popular. It's still it's still popular, man. <laughs> it's the reason I always have Disney Plus. Hmm. Wow. Believe
2: yeah, me. Josh is watching Futurama. That's back. It I've never really goes it. away.
0: I've never that got got into it. Is, is that a good show? Futurama. I yeah. really liked it for quite a while. That's another one that I, I lost track of and I haven't looked at the reboot or, you know, the new, the
1: continuation yet. I've been on a Doctor Who marathon mm. the last few weeks because it's the 60th anniversary coming up and it's a whole, it's a whole big deal if you care about Doctor Who.
0: Wow.
3: I, no so you, you I, actually, I used to love that show. I used to love that
0: you show. You actually get to see Doctor Who stuff with some promptness in the UK, is that right? Because we have to fucking wait
1: to it, two years. I'm not shilling
0: for Disney Plus, but the the 60th anniversary special is is premiering
1: on Disney Plus oh. the same day it's premiering in the UK this this time around.
0: I'm about two seasons behind, so I <laughs> Oh, you don't have to catch up. <laughs> the, the Last Doctor
1: has not been great.
2: I've never seen one episode. Wait, the, the
1: female doctor hasn't been very good? No, and it's not it's not her fault. The quality in showrunners has has declined since uh, Russell T. Davis. I mean, and he's now coming back to like save the show. There's a whole there's big production drama, there's interesting cast drama. It's great, it's got it's got
3: everything you need. Because Doctor Who has been one of my favorite TV shows for a very long time. Now, I lost track once the female doctor took over because I just kind of lost. I just lost interest a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's my own sexism. I'm sorry, guys. No, it's just the writing. It, it, maybe it's that's not. what it was. It's like, not. The writing She's just as good me. as anybody else. But it's yeah, just- the writing fell off for me because like I remember yeah. I loved all those other doctors. It's just with her, for some reason, it kind of felt off. Maybe that, what, that's what it was. But I really enjoyed it. So I'm really looking forward to if he comes back. I'm back. I like that guy. I like him quite a bit. He's a really good writer. Well, and, the, and the new, uh, the the new
1: Doctor is Trudi Gawa from Sex Education. Who I don't know if you guys have seen that show, but yeah. Black Doctor, which is a big deal.
0: That's huge and but, course, very young.
1: Very young. With a, and but would really excited like, because Russell T Davis the showrunner, who's coming back, he's turning into one of the UK's greatest TV writers. He's done loads of really incredible miniseries. What was it called? It's a sin was one of the recent one. The drama about the AIDS crisis now it unfolded oh, yeah. in the UK. No, I didn't. I didn't watch that. I didn't it's watch incredible. It. And he brought Doctor Who back in two thousand five, and he's now coming to to
0: take it back again. But everyone's very excited. Is he going to be an aggressively gay doctor? Is that part of the thing? Like his character on sex education? That's one of the things. <laughs> I don't think
1: so because. I mean I don't I don't know. You never know where Russell, Russell T. Davies is. Himself, is
0: very, right, pro, he's very he's very he gay, lots he of always, gay relationships in the show and stuff.
1: He always does gay representation in a really interesting and subtle way. Like he's had, cause he does a few things he did queer as folk as well, which is so sometimes he's just telling gay stories and he's like obviously very good at that, very grounded, uh, and they've always got a really great emotional depth. But he also is very good at doing representation more broadly on screen. And it's often that like there's just a gay character or there's a pansexual character or like if there's twelve if there's twelve people in a given scene, like four of them are gonna be black just because why not? And that's that's often the way he approaches representation, which is great. so I don't think we're gonna see an aggressively gay doctor, but we will probably see an aggressively gay show. I've gotten He's very got into re- Doctor re- Who at
0: various points, including we probably talked about the audio plays. The the yeah yeah. I'm trying ones. to
1: introduce my girlfriend to those at the moment because they're really into the TV show. Yeah, if you're into I think the, the audio old stuff show, is some of the best Doctor Who.
0: And I still have not made myself. I, that was when I started. I like went back and watched from the beginning, including on these bootlegged ones. There's there's some episodes of the show that do not exist anymore, except in mm-hmm. audio form. But people have put together like a series of production stills with the audio. So by the time you're like, I don't actually remember which ones I saw and which ones I didn't. <laughs> in some ways, like, I got the, I got the point enough and it, you know, tells you these characters and what they, the monsters and what they look like. And, uh, but then I think I still, somewhere around Dr. Five or six, I have not seen every episode and I really have not seen, I guess, eight was the last one or seven was the last one in the original run. I've probably only I seen, seven yeah, yeah I've probably only one. seen like three episodes that he was ever in.
1: I mean, it is. I I love Doctor Who enormous along with Star Trek it's one of my favorite just properties in general and watching every single episode of Doctor Who is a herculean mm. <laughs> task it is a, a a show made in the 1960s for children and not all of it is very good tv <laughs>
0: Sarah, you going to take on that challenge and, and uh, put of in the... Of course she's not.
3: Of <laughs> course she's not. She's already watched The Exorcist. I'm happy with her. She, she can do whatever she wants to do now.
1: Some of it, that was very, very scary. Watch, I watched the episode Midnight a couple of days ago. It's one of my favorites. It's just a, a little horror story where the Doctor is stuck in a room with a few other people and there's something trying to get in. And it's the thing with the alien who possesses people and then repeats after them yeah you guys know what i'm talking
0: about yeah if you like since you like black mirror sarah i bet if you Mm. if we if we curated a couple (laughs) doctor who episodes for you you would like it
3: it's very similar like don't ask her to watch the entire series like give her like 10 episodes to watch and she can do it.
2: but there was also an idea floated that we would be talking about yellowstone and i feel like we just Mm. need to make a decision here oh yeah
3: (laughs) we should definitely (laughs) do that we are waiting for an investment
2: in time um because I also like to read books and
3: stuff
0: and, now, just you
2: know, go I've, to my day job.
0: <laughs> I've still been, I, I went back to it and I've still only maybe gotten through two and a half episodes of the first half of the last season, but I think, yes, it was when yeah. the second half of the last season comes out, the last season with this cast, then that was when we are going to try to, that we hit. Well, let's do it then. Let's do it. If you guys are up for it, if you don't actually, if you start watching, you don't actually enjoy it, then do not make yourself watch have no five choice. seasons you have, of this No, no,
3: no, 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 no. You have no, no choice. No, no. We'll Yellowstone is one of the most popular TV shows out there. You have no choice. Watch the damn show. <laughs> Watch the damn show. You we're talking no about choice. it. If, if, you want, if you want people to listen to us, you need to put out there what people are actually watching. People Watch the damn show. It. Yes. Watch it. I'm not trying All to hear time. this. We're curating random deep stuff to us. No, we're popular. We're doing popular culture. Watch the damn show.
0: Do you think predictively that Sarah will enjoy the rodeo, the much ro- rodeo porn no, that is in there?
3: I do not think no, she'll not. enjoy the rodeo stuff, but I do think that she will absolutely <laughs> enjoy the stuff on the ranch. She will enjoy that stuff. Ranchy that stuff, stuff is good. The stuff on the it's ranch. All, it like sounds the stuff,
2: so outdoorsy. Nah,
3: trust me. There's a lot of
0: ranch dressing involved.
3: <laughs> oh. oh my God. It's time to go. It's time to end it. My <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I man just made a joke about ranch dressing. It's time to go,
0: guys. <laughs> they dress like they're on a ranch. Anyway, all right. Bye-bye, bye guys. Bye, guys. bye, everybody. Thanks Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.